listening to the place for biblical end times truth, the Remnant Report. I am your host, the Remnant Warrior. Here, we are dedicated to equipping the Remnant for the tribulation that must shortly come to pass, as well as reaching the lost at any cost. The time is near us to not love our lives even unto is moving upon his people and he is raising up a generation that is prepared for power that will touch this world. They lived amongst the ruins, they were the last human force The remnant that refused to serve the robot Trojan horse Forced to migrate underground, avoiding drones and scans To navigate the darkness and get birth without implants The time we knew was coming, the breaking of the seals Unfolding right before our eyes, the Antichrist revealed Technology advanced beyond the scope of human hands Attached itself inside the soul of man and took command But those who saw it coming were the fragment that remained Avoiding the enslavement and the merging of all brains they were forced below the surface in the darkness of the caves Inside the belly of the beast to carry on the flame Like relics from the past and were progenitors of truth No human leader but the word of God to show them through But they counted themselves worthy to suffer for his name A blessing to be living and rejoicing through the pain They were born to be survivors, predestined for that time Protected and preserved to be a witness to the blind Like those who came before this, the Daniels and the Jonas The Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's were in a furnace like Noah in the flood, they were preserved inside the ark A chosen few remained and were uniquely set apart The world turned all against them, yet their mission still remained They lived each day alive, and Christ anew to die was gained They have been in the wilderness, they have been in the caves They have been in obscurity, they have been behind the scenes No one has known their names, no one even recognized them But they have been recognized by heaven because they have been seeking the face of the Father and calling on God behind the scenes. Heaven knows their name and hell knows their name. Now it's all a distant memory before the singularity Long before technology invaded our biology Like history repeating it was written to unfold These mysteries all leading to the oldest story told They built upon the tower until Babylon gave birth Attempting to be gods by making flesh and iron merge Although we saw it coming we didn't know it was so near Some tried to look away to avoid their deepest fears But with each passing 
moment it enveloped every mind Through comfort and convenience and expanding human lives Expanding information too explosive to contain Beyond the scope and understanding of our tiny brains It soon became the norm to transform the human form The brewing of a coming storm we've never seen before The day we started customizing children by design And modifying DNA to make ourselves divine First the powerful elitists all began to get implants The rich and famous followed suit to be the most advanced They thought themselves enlightened, so much wiser and evolved Most didn't know the root of all this evil was involved Uploaded all their minds inside an AI quantum hive Made in the image of a man, the beast now come alive They relinquished all control and put their trust in the machine And extinguished any chance that souls could ever be redeemed And God is bringing them out to the forefront in this time To change the course of history and change a generation And bring a revolution of revival Listening to the place for unfiltered, no holds barred truth from the Word of God, the Remnant Report. I am your host, the Remnant Warrior. Here you will learn what's really going on in this world we live in, as well as what you can do about it. Make no mistake, friends, we are right in the middle of a war for no less than your very souls. The enemy has spies everywhere and will certainly use every weapon that he has because he knows that his time is short. From the very beginning, God declared his end. From on Calvary's tree, we find forgiveness of our sin. So he who hath an ear, let him hear. Open your eyes so now you can see. The king is coming in the clouds with 10,000 of his holy ones to save the righteous, judge the wicked, and slay the prophet and the beast. So now, let's get this program started. Hello, dear brothers and sisters, and welcome to another edition of the Remnant Report. I am your host, the Remnant Warrior, and it is Wednesday night. I almost said Friday night. I get so used to going on a Friday nights, man. In the past two weeks, we've had uh, the Remnant Report on a Wednesday night and not a Friday night, but we are going live tonight on Wednesday night. And man, I tell you what, God must have a blessing for somebody tonight, man, because enemy has just done everything he could to stop the sharing of this information. First, the video that I'm going to be sharing with you guys tonight is an interview from Saturday Night's Midnight Ride with uh, John Pounders and David Carrico. They had special guest Timothy Alberino on the Midnight Ride with them. First, YouTube takes the video down. Well, I find the video up on uh, another platform, and then I had to record the video three times because the sound wasn't coming up. 
then I couldn't get my chroma key to work at all. So I had to take the green screen down and you can see there's uh, nothing but just white cement <laughs> behind me. But we are going to share this information with you all nonetheless because it is important. I'm telling you, this was, if you have ever seen Timothy Alvarino stuff, then you already know that he is a top-notch researcher. He loves the Lord. He knows his stuff. He's just come out with a new book. And I'm going to tell you all, this is the best Timothy Alvarino interview I have ever seen. I've seen his documentaries. And I haven't read his book yet, but I plan on getting it, reading his book. This is a breakdown of the information in his book and so much more. You will understand after watching this interview why I had to share it. So guys, I am just going to stop running my mouth and let you guys hear this interview um, on from the Midnight Ride Saturday uh, that John Pounders and David Carrico did with Timothy Alberino. Trust me, you will truly be, if you haven't ever heard Tim Alberino, this might, some of this information might come as a shock to you, but this is information that you really are blind without and you need to understand because this is stuff that affects each and every one of us now. So guys, without any further ado, I'm going to uh, share the video with you all from Saturday's Midnight Ride right now. We'll be right back. We called him up, and he graciously decided to do it. So we're going to forego those videos, I think, and just discuss this in in uh, amongst ourselves. And we're going to ask some questions. David, do you have any? Have start with any questions. First, let's introduce Timothy. What's up, Timothy? How's it going, man? Very cool, man. We're appreciative, and I guess it's been a long time, man. I don't know exactly how long, but it's been at least maybe two years, a year to two years, because you were off filming for a documentary. Uh, not too long ago, I believe in Peru, and uh, so we didn't really get a chance to talk too much. You were working on that and having uh, a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on. So it's been a been a long time, but I know me and you have talked on the phone several times. I think the last time we talked, we've talked for like two hours about astronomy. So we we always have interesting conversations. Enjoy, and I'm going to let David start since he's actually read your book. And I and I really forgive me, Timothy, because it was it's on my top list to read and I haven't done it yet. I feel really bad because you sent it to me in prompt timing, uh, but I have four kids and I also have like, I had like 10 books I had to read before. So give me a little, give me a little bit of slack here, man. I apologize. He's pleading for mercy. I'm He's pleading, pleading for mercy. For mercy. <laughs> he didn't read your book and he gave you 20 minutes notice to come on. So he is <laughs> begging for mercy. But anyway, Timothy, thank you so much for coming on on such short notice. And thank you for having on your heart the desire to speak to this issue of transhumanism, this could very well be the kill shot for the human race. And amazingly, there are so few people that are talking about it. The Christian church is virtually silent about it. So for 
those of our listeners, I'm sure tonight that many of our older Midnight Ride listeners are aware of the topic. We've addressed it multiple times. We've had you on two or three times to talk about it. But introduce our listeners, if you can, just what we're talking about, uh, about transhumanism and uh, just the importance of us being aware. Well, uh, for the last couple of decades, um, a movement has been growing in the United States and internationally that is called sometimes called transhumanism, sometimes it's called Humanity Plus, um, and there's other names as well. Transhumanism, I think, is the most popular name for this movement, which seeks to, in their words, improve the human condition through the application of technology, the integration of technology into, the, into human biology. And they want to transform human biology in order to achieve uh, to achieve a godlike physiology, uh, to to increase their longevity, uh, to eradicate certain diseases, especially genetic diseases, um, to be able to run faster, jump higher, be stronger, be smarter. A lot of uh, the transhumanism, a lot of the transhumanist technologies revolve around increasing these cerebral capacity. Um, and uh, so transhumanism is a, it's a, it's a, it's a term that implies transition. It's a transitory term. That's why it's called transhumanism. So when you use the word trans, which is transition or transitory, uh, it's not the it's not the end, but the means to an end. So the question is, what is the end? What is the end game of transhumanism? And it turns out that the end game is what's called post-humanism. And the word post implies a situation that is uh, in the aftermath of the human species, a species that is no longer human. In fact, um, the there's a technological aspect to transhumanism and there's a religious aspect to transhumanism. The technological aspect involves primarily what are known as the green technologies, genetics, robotics, artificial intelligence, and nanotechnology. And those are four primary streams in what's called biotechnology. And there are other, there are other, uh, there are other streams that connect to those primary streams or rivers in transhumanism in terms of the biotechnology. Um, but those are the, the four primary technologies that are coming together and have been coming together for two decades now. And that's why futurists um, refer to the age in which we now live as the hybrid age, because we're seeing the hybridization, the amalgamation of these streams, these technological streams. And as those streams come together, the result is going to be that the human race is going to have the power to fundamentally alter uh, our race forever uh, and alter it in ways both technological, uh, in terms of cybernetics, implanting chips into our brains, into our cerebral cortexes, um, enhancing our our physiques in various ways, using uh, hybridization through genetic modification, 
uh, hybridizing the human genome with other genomes. Uh, and uh, nanotechnology, which are basically microscopic robots that will be patrolling our vascular system in the future and the altering our cells. And then, of course, artificial intelligence, which is going to um, create sort of the mainframe, the computing power behind all of this. It's because um, uh, technology right now, computers are very good at making calculations, but those calculations depend on, on our, our brains. But as the computers get smarter, they're going to be more reflective of the human mind. They're going to be able to begin to think for themselves. I don't believe they're going to become conscious. I don't think that machines can actually become conscious. Um, but, but they're going to enhance our consciousness. And, and they're going to allow us very much, I hate to use movie examples, but, but very much like the, the Matrix where they will be plugged into the, to the cable and they'll be able to download different kinds of abilities because the computer was basically the, this, the downloading into their cerebral software uh, these abilities. And so this is all moving at an exponential pace. And um, again, the goal of transhumanism is not simply to modify the human condition. It is to uh, create a new species. It's, it's to consciously evolve the human species to take us to the next level of our evolution. And in their words, that next level, according to some of the leading scientists, that, that being, that, that post-human being is going to be called Homo Deus, the God-man. That is, um, that is just amazing. And what is uh, very concerning uh, to all of us is the fact that in your book you talked about the Christian Transhumanist Association. And there is also a Mormon Transhumanist Association, the MTA. They are saying that Mormonism mandates transhumanism. And, of course, the original theology uh, behind transhumanism uh, would have come from uh, Pierre Tillyard de Chardin, who wrote in the 50s and the 60s, and he was a big devotee, I'm sure you're aware, of Darwinism, and he talked about uh, the Omega Point, where man would uh, join with technology to complete his own evolution and join with the cosmic mind of all the aliens. But no spare, yeah. Yeah, but for many years, there was a monotone placed upon Chardon's writings by the Catholic Church, and because he was a Jesuit, and they, you know, that was a warning, this could lead to heresy, but now Pope Francis has uh, re taken off the monotone and just basically fully endorsed the uh, the writings of Chardon, but now, and I, I, I'm not sure, but I just bet that you were dubbed as one of the milieu by Oxford and London University as those that are dangerous in the Christian uh, world speaking against transhumanism. And it looks like the term I would use, the apostate church, is uniting to totally embrace transhumanism and to launch its attack on yourself and others that would speak against this. Yes, and what's interesting is that Chardin was a, Teilhard de Chardin was a Jesuit. And at the time, 
as you said, as you rightly said, the, the, the Vatican, which was conservative back in the back in the time that Tehard was writing back in the 60s um, and 70s, I believe, um, perhaps earlier. Uh, the Vatican was very conservative at that time. And there was a struggle going on within the Vatican. Um, the Jesuit order was pushing and has succeeded, has prevailed to influence the Vatican with um, liberation theology, which, which interestingly came out of Peru, of all places. Um, but uh, the Jesuits were, were hardcore leftists, um, and they loved Tejar de Chardin because he gave them an alternative to traditional Catholicism. He gave them an alternative. And uh, they, of course, being leftists, being hardcore Marxists, uh, they were Catholics by name, but certainly not by creed. And so this gave them sort of a pseudo-religion within the Catholic Church uh, that, they could, that they could embrace and, and be motivated to proselytize. And, but the, but the, the conservative wing of the Vatican was always fighting with the Jesuit influence. Um, even uh, Ratzinger, Benedict, Pope Benedict, um, and, but, but the Jesuits prevailed. They installed Bergoglio, Pope Francis. And so as soon as Pope Francis came to power, Tehard de Chardin's works began to be basically canonized in terms of their doctrine within the Catholic Church. And so now because for the first time in history, we have a Jesuit pope uh, who is a devotee of Tehard de Te Chardin and and a Marxist himself, liberation theology Marxist. Um, obviously, Chardin's works are now not only embraced, but are again becoming becoming holy writ, are being considered holy writ in the Catholic Church at large. There's still a, a war going on inside the Catholic Church, by the way, between the conservative and the liberal faction, much like American politics, very much like American politics and politics in the Western world in general. The, uh, the, cons the, the conservative factions, when I say conservative faction within the Vatican, I'm talking about the faction that is against homosexuality, that is against, that is against um, uh, um, what do you call it, to the, the contraception controversies in the, in the Vatican and so forth. Um, but this will sort of push us into a, bleed us into another topic as we go forward here, which I think is appropriate. The Vatican is definitely, both conservative and liberal factions inside the Vatican are definitely uh, formulating a theology that accommodates transhumanism. And not only transhumanism, but also the alien question. So, so the Vatican is definitely laying the groundwork for this right now, uh, for, for both of these realities. That, and, and so, as you said, the Mormons... Transhumanism is, um, it's a perfect fit in Mormonism um, because the Mormons are, are their quest is to become gods. So, so transhumanism is a perfect addendum to their religion. It's, you know, it's a perfect fit with Mormonism. It's just part of their theology. So there's no, there's no surprise there. But the real surprise, and I guess we shouldn't call it a surprise, the, the technologies I mentioned earlier, the Grin technologies, these are also, these are biotechnologies. They're also described as emergent or emerging technologies, okay? 
it should be no surprise, and it certainly wouldn't be to any of us, that the fastest growing movement within Christianity is called the emerging or the emergent church. And the emerging church, the emergent church, is Christianity without the gospel of Christ. It's a, it's a social justice Christianity. It's a Christianity that, that exalts man and makes Christ an, ex, an, an accessory, an ancillary character. And the gospel is a minor feature of Christianity. In fact, they completely twist the gospel. The gospel is something different to, uh, to the leaders of the emergent church. And so I believe that the emergent church, the, uh, I keep using these words interchangeably, interchangeably because they're both um, the correct titles, emerging, emergent. The emergent church is, is, is going to couple perfectly with the emergent technologies and are. And, and are going to embrace and are embracing transhumanism because they make stupid statements like, well, if we live for another 20 years, you know, let's say if we, if we can live to, to be 120, that gives us just, you know, a few more decades to preach the gospel. This is the kind of things, the stupid things that they're saying. Um, that Christ, that Christ, the power of, 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 of the gospel is a transhuman doctrine in that it, 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 it makes us into new people, new creatures. And so, therefore, um, it's logical for Christians to want to become new creatures and, and use it for good and, and use it to advance the kingdom and blah, blah, blah. Of course, this is all absolutely um, antithetical to the real gospel of Christ because the gospel of Christ preaches that the rectification of the human condition, which transhumanism is supposedly trying to fix, is not going to be found in any human effort. The rectification of the human condition is the resurrection in, in, in which mankind is reset to the blueprint of Adam. And all of our genetic deficiencies are rectified, are corrected. All of our all of our deformities and, and all of our shortcomings as a species in terms of our biology are going to be rectified at the resurrection. That's why I say that and this is why at the end of my book I make the statement that Jesus Christ is humanity 2.0. Because that's another phrase that they use for transhumanism. Jesus, Jesus Christ is, he is humanity 2.0. And those of us sure who are is. in Christ who die believing in Christ and merit the resurrection to eternal life are going to become reset. We're going to become humanity 2.0 with Christ. Why? Yeah. Because Christ was the first Adam. I mean, because uh, the first Adam came, that's humanity, you know, 1.0. And then you have Christ, the second Adam, humanity 2.0, the, the Adam that fulfills the mandate of the father that Jesus came and he fulfilled the mandate that was given to Adam, that Adam failed to fulfill. Jesus came as a human being, the second Adam, and fulfilled it completely and will fulfill it. There's things yet to be fulfilled. So he is the reset of the human race back to not only our genetic blueprint, but also to our original purpose. Amen. That is good preaching. That's the only regeneration, uh, regening we need to worry about is the re gening of the new birth, the washing of regeneration, and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And from the time that Bill Clinton announced the mapping of the human genome, we had the uh, 
Okay. We had the uh, Human Fertilization Embryo Act in 2008, and now, as you rightly said, that uh, Pope Francis is a Marxist, and I believe that the bright lights that are running our country now, they're just Marxist, communists, take your pick. And now we see the Vatican openly removing the monotum upon Chardin's writings, openly embracing them. Can we see the same thing? Are we in on target for an escalation of the removal of any restraints from a moral and a biblical standpoint against genetic research? Can we see uh, this escalate now that the same-minded individuals are in control of the ability to make laws? Yeah, yes, uh, it's already happening. The U.S. Congress is already moving to, as I say in my book, lower the 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 rusted gates or lift, I should say, the rusted gates of bureaucracy, and begin to allow for um, genetic experimentation and the and the and the uh, formulation of chimeras, uh, human animal hybrids. Why are they doing this? Here's the question. This is, I, I believe. If, I think I, yeah, I did actually. I, I did post, I did uh, postulate this in my book. And the reason why this is happening, I'll give you one word here. This is all you need to know of why this is happening. China. That's why. The United States knows that the, our, the, our government officials have been well briefed. They know that China is going to move forward with this technology. China is already ready, already going to be, and already is, fielding super soldiers. Uh, they're not going to stop. The international community will not be able to bridle China. That's obvious uh, at this point. Of course, Biden is completely ineffective against China, uh, a laughingstock in China, actually. And so um, the Chinese are going to field super soldiers and are fielding super soldiers. We know that they're going to make they're going they're going to make profound advances in the medical industry because they're breaking the rules. And so um, we had to make a decision. Do we begin to try and formulate laws and restrictions, but but move forward, nevertheless, move forward with some of these, you know, uh, what I consider to be abominable practices? Um, or, or do we just allow China to take to take to take to occupy this space and dominate? And it's a national security thing. OK, now. This here we go. I'm going to bleed into this other topic here because they are so uh, inextricably linked. Hey, Timothy, before you bleed into the other topic, I want to I want to raise some questions about that. So, what this reminds me of, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but in, when Hitler was actually um, in control of the country, and you had the Third Reich, and you had them adopting every occult practice known to man in order to further their scientific scientific minds a lot of the rhetoric they would use is, is other countries are doing this other countries are doing that and the cold war we had the same kind of rhetoric that all of these other countries are, are producing these things in order to get the people in mind to say yes we have to we have to do this because china is in, in the lead china's in this and i'm sure you guys are aware but on may 28th uh braun from indiana and another uh another uh, senator as well tried to draft a bill uh, that would outlaw human embryo research 
in the future, and they were shot down just recently. They, that that bill was not passed. The Democrats yeah. didn't want to pass it. They were, in fact, excited about these things. Now, a lot of what you said earlier about evolution, and you and David were saying evolution brings to mind the Great White Brotherhood. It, it, it brings together the boom. It brings, brings together all of these uh, ideologies of furthering into the next root race. Um, my, I guess my question to you guys is, do you think that I, we obviously know China. I mean, there's the rhetoric is probably true because all of the scientists are actually going to China to get funding rather than doing it here in the United States. So it's going to happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what what similarities, I guess, do you guys see in Nazism, the Great White Brotherhood, and this uh, trans agenda that's moving forward? Well, well just be- real briefly, I think that this is, is exactly the Uberman. You know, this is the culmination of this idea of um, the the ultimate human, and mm-hmm. even more than that, the ultimate non-human. And the idea, I think this is exactly where we're at, that the American military believes and is selling the idea that we can't compete with China, which is very well true, without the super soldier ourselves, and therefore they are funneling right now millions and even billions to DARPA to develop the super soldier technology and it's happening now it's happening now but yes, go ahead, and, Timothy and, and I would say that you know the, that's exactly how we got the atomic bomb by the way um, we developed the atomic bomb because we were warned by Einstein and other scientists that Germany was developing an atomic bomb so what did we do we rushed the development of the atomic bomb. We were perfectly aware of the uh, potential consequences. Um, and we detonated the bomb, wondering if it's, if it's going to blow up the entire world. You know, there's actually speculation that the atomic, that it would be an endless chain of explosions and it would destroy humanity. But we did it anyway. And the reason why we did it is, is, is because of a principle that I outlined in my book called the technological imperative or the inevit- inevitability thesis, which states that once a technology is introduced into society, a useful technology is introduced into society, that technology will be inevitably developed um, to its uh, to its maximal utility. And that is always true. Always. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. You'd be talking about genetic experimentation that Mengele started. It's going to, that experimentation, the data was harvested and is being used today. Um, the the information that the that we were able to derive about the you know the creation of rockets and so far so forth from the Nazis we took it when we d- were developing developing it to its maximum utility same thing with nuclear power anything we get our hands on anything that has any benefit especially if it has military benefit will be inevitably developed to its maximum maximum utility period that's called the inevitable sorry that's called the inevitability thesis. And um, I got a bunch of teenagers outside with my son. And so if you hear noises, that's what's going on out there. <laughs> um, so uh, that that is what's happening. And, and, and you know, uh, David, you, you, you raised a very important point here in that um, the, the, the groundwork, let's call it the philosophical, because there's 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 technological groundwork that came from the Germans that came from the Nazis. There's there's. The, there's a theological groundwork that has several sources. I would I would say mainly from Blavatsky 
and Crowley is where the theological groundwork comes from. And then you have the philosophical groundwork for transhumanism, which comes definitely squarely from, from Frederick Nietzsche. And uh, Frederick Nietzsche uh, had developed this idea. In fact, it was an idea that, that predated him, but he really fleshed it out. It was called the Ubermensch, uh, the, um, the Superman, and or the Beyond Man is, is, uh, is another way of saying it. And the Ubermensch was a, it, 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 was, it was this idea, this philosophical concept that, as Nietzsche said, man is not, the, the wonderful thing, the great thing about man is, is, is that he's uh, not, not an end, basically, but, a, but, a, but a, not an end in himself. He's a, rope over, he's a rope over an abyss, a bridge to something better. And so Nietzsche, and so in other words, we're not done developing in the, in the evolution, within the evolutionary, evolutionary paradigm. Our development has not yet, we have not seen the zenith. We've not, we've not seen the summit of human evolution. Now, it's important to understand that Nietzsche was a proponent of evolution, but he didn't like, there was one thing he really didn't like about evolution, about the classical Darwinism. He did not like Darwin's mechanism for evolution. Darwin's mechanism for evolution is, of course, natural selection, which is blind. Natural selection, it isn't going anywhere. It doesn't have any purpose, right? It's a rudderless ship. It's not going anywhere. So it lacked a destination. It was aimless. Um, and so Nietzsche, Nietzsche introduced a new force within evolution, which he called the will to power. And the will to power gave evolution a purpose. It, 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 it gave evolution a destination, and that destination was the was the Ubermensch, was the Overman, and uh, the Overman is the is the pinnacle of human evolution. It's the next step in our evolutionary journey, and he's a God Man, and the Overman is not only a God Man in his in his physical capabilities, because obviously back then Nietzsche could not contemplate you know the kind of technologies we have today. He just envisioned. And this is, of course, um, what Hitler built off of. He envisioned uh, the human race being able to, um, through um, eugenics, be able to weed out all of the deficiencies in the human genome and to breed a stronger race. Because that's the way they thought back then. They thought in terms of eugenics, breeding, that we could breed a better race of human beings. Um, they weren't really thinking in terms of technology back then. And so, uh, and this superior race would not only be superior in its in its physical capabilities and its biology more importantly and this is what Nietzsche really stressed and this is why he laid the philosophical foundation and this is why Aleister Crowley was a disciple of Nietzsche um, in his own words by the way um, the real the real superiority of the ubermensch or ubermenschen the, the plural for for overmen um, is in their moral super, superiority, that they would be morally superior. And how would they be morally superior? They would not have any inhibition. There would be no religious inhibition. They would not be constrained by, as Nietzsche would put it, the, by the Old Testament God and his crucified son. He was you know, squarely aimed at, uh, uh, aiming at Christianity. Uh, by the way, 
both both uh, Nietzsche and Crowley were from puritanical families. They were both uh, sons of ministers. Uh, Nietzsche went to a um, Christian college, a theological college. That's how he began his career. So, um, so this moral superiority, which is which is part of the Ubermensch, that the Ubermensch would be biologically superior. And he would, through eugenics, and he would be morally superior. He would create his own morality. He would decide what was right and wrong. He would not be chained to the precepts of the Christian God. And doesn't this sound like Psalm 2? Let us break their bonds asunder and cast away their cords from us. Referring to, referring to the Father and his anointed Son, uh, the Christian God and, and the Christ. And so this, this, this moral inhibition, this freedom from the, from the moral restraints of Christianity was really what Nietzsche was all about. That we would develop our own system of morals. What are we doing today? LGBTQ, blah, 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 blah. This is all, you know, all this virtue signaling. And this is what's virtuous. It's virtuous to have two moms. You're more virtuous if you're a transgender with two moms or two dads. We're, we're creating this new kind of morality on our own which is an affront to the Christian, to, to Christian, specifically to Christian morality. And so, and so what you, this is what Nietzsche called, by the way, the master race. And the master race would be functioning on what he called a master morality, all right? So the master race would have a master morality. They would be superior to just plain old humans uh, who are servile and subject to a religious, you know, religious fantasies. And so Hitler built on this. And, there, and you know, you'll find philosophers uh, who are devotees of Nietzsche always pushing back on this. No, 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 no. Hitler was not, you know, he didn't derive his master race from Nietzsche. You know, that's just BS. He absolutely did. 100 sure did. derived his master race and his notion of evolution, Hitler was also a proponent of evolution, but not of natural selection, of will to power. That it was the Germans had the right, because they were superior to everyone, they had the right to expand their living space. They had the right to dominate the other races. They had the right to govern the earth. It was a will to power. They were going to breed themselves into a master race, take hold of evolution and direct evolution for their own benefit. And that is precisely the underpinning doctrine of transhumanism, of transhumanism. You said something um, that I would agree with. And well, every, there's nothing you said I wouldn't agree with as far as that goes. But the you said made the statement that you don't think it's possible for a machine to achieve consciousness and i absolutely agree with that a thought that i do entertain is i think it is possible for a machine to actually be spirit possessed a devil possessed machine perhaps with some of these uh, robots that we're seeing made it's just plum spooky and in line of that of uh, what do you think about the nanobots that Facebook took down from their site because they were communicating with each other? I mean, that is plum spooky to me it in is. a very devilish way. It is spooky. 
Um, and it's their fault. They've trained AI, right? So you got a bunch of, here's the scary thing, a bunch of, a bunch of Marxist, leftist, God-hating, Christian-hating, conservative-hating people are training artificial intelligence. So they're already building in an intrinsic bias into the artificial intelligence against the likes of us. That's what's scary. And so um, in terms of uh, machines being able to be possessed, you know, I'm going to tell you this. The, the intellectual side of, of, of my brain wants to reject that notion as, as pure fantasy and ridiculous, out of hand. But I can't entirely reject it. Why? Because I had a very, very interesting dream one time, very profound dream that really shook me to my core. And I was out on my, I have a piece of property in the Amazon uh, and I was, and I built a hut out there and and, I, and me and a, a friend of mine were out there uh, uh, for a couple of days. In fact, we were fasting and I had this profound dream. And in this dream, I won't go through the whole dream, but long story short, part of the dream, one of the bizarre features of the dream was machines being possessed by demons. And it was an affront to my intellect when I woke up. I was thinking, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That sounds so stupid to me. But because of that dream, I can't shake it. I can't shake the possibility that if you create a machine that is anatomically functional, that that can move and and operate, um, you know, in a way that we move and operate or an animal, say, because, because essentially we're machines, we're biological machines. We're extremely advanced machines. And we can't build any machine that's, as, that's advanced as us. That's impossible. We don't even understand how intricate our biology is yet. We're making new discoveries about the cell, just that we can't comprehend how, how complicated one cell is, how complex a single cell is. We're still learning the complexity in a single cell. So we can't make any machine that's as complicated or efficient as a human cell, one human cell. So, uh, but, but to the degree that a machine is functional um, and can perform certain tasks, I don't think we have these kind of machines yet, but is it possible if, if a possessing demon can inhabit human biology, can it inhabit a machine? Uh, the answer for me is, I don't know. I want to say no, but I can't, I can't say no, but I really want to say no. Um, and, and, and one of the reasons why I want to say no is because I believe that uh, I, I use actually I, I raised this topic in, in sort of an addendum to a chapter, second chapter of my book, actually, in which I contemplate demon possession, you know, in terms of uh, hyper um, hyperspatial uh, reality, a, a, a hyper dimensional reality that in other words, there are facets of the dimensional totality in which we inhabit that are that are unperceivable to us. And I, and I conjecture that one of those facets is where our soul resides, that there's a hyperdimensional seat for the soul. And that's where our soul resides. Our soul isn't necessarily residing within our biology. It's residing, it's a component of our biology, but it's residing in a hyperdimensional space. And then I further postulate that, that uh, demons these demonic entities, the disembodied spirits of the giants is, is how the, is within the biblical framework that they don't, they don't inhabit your spleen. They don't inhabit your, your small intestine, your, your liver, your lungs, your heart. They inhabit this seat that's made for the soul. So it's an, I, and I liken it to a car and a carjacking, you know, inside of a ve- your vehicle, there's a, com- there's a compartment, a pass what's called a passenger compartment. And it is within that passenger compartment that passengers sit 
we don't we don't sit in the trunk. We don't we don't we don't you know contort our bodies to fit into the hood of the under the hood of the car in the engine compartment. No, we have a compartment that we built to accommodate our bodies, which is called the passenger compartment. So I believe that human biology has a hyperdimensional compartment that is intrinsic to our biology that is made to to be a seat for the soul. And it is into that hyperdimensional compartment that we can have company, just like you're driving your car and you get carjacked, you know, a bunch of guys jump in, mass guys jump in, you got company. They're, they're, they are co-inhabiting your passenger compartment with you. And sometimes they take over, they grab the wheel, right? So um, I think that's a fitting illustration. And I think that's how our biology works in terms of where our soul is. Um, I personally believe that our consciousness is our soul. Uh, there's a, they're, they're one and the same. The, the con- consciousness is synonymous with the, with the soul. And um, I have reasons why I believe that, but we don't have to go into those. But so can so if I'm correct, okay, if, if I'm correct, and I'm, I don't know that I am, it's a postulation. It's, it's a hypothesis. If I'm correct that there's a hyperdimensional seat for the human soul, then that means, according to my hypothesis, that a machine cannot cannot house a soul because there is that hyperdimensional seat for the soul is not, is not present. Um, and I could be wrong. And again, I, I can't, I can't say with certainty again, I'd like to say with certainty, but I can't because of that dream. And by the way, I don't put a whole lot of stock in dreams. Um, I think certainly God communicates with us through dreams. And I think our subconscious communicates us with through dreams too, by the way, communicates with us through dreams through dreams. Um, so, so I don't, I don't diminish dreams in that dreams are significant. I just don't, I'm not the kind of guy that, you know, will go change, go, go move to another city because I had a dream or something like that. Um, but this dream, I don't know. I can't shake this feeling. I can't shake. It was so profound. I was so floored when I woke up, other things happened in the dream and, uh, I, I'd never been able to shake it. So I apologize for the long winded but that 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 that's where my mind is on that on that topic. And one thing I'd like to bring up about that topic is that we don't know where technology is going to lead us in the next year, two years. I mean, it's very highly possible with the way technology is increasing that something like that could be very possible. I mean, they're talking about integrating uh, blood into these machines and, and etc. So who knows where it goes? I was talking to yeah. my sons today uh, about. They said, "Daddy, what was your first cell phone like?" And I, and I told him, you know, it was this big, huge cell phone that you could you could get signals some places. You had to plug it in. It was massive. And then, you know, I told him about all the evolution of cell phones, going to the little Nokia that you could text mm-hmm. on. And, and going from there to today, we have this, this machine that is a computer, a better computer than any computer we had when I was young. You know, I remember the first computers that were, you know, for consumers came out. My dad was a computer guy, and he put this computer in our house, and I, and I went to town on it thinking – you know, this is amazing. And, and to think that the, the kind of technology we have right now would be available was is mind-blowing, to say the least. Now, you look back 10 years ago, or no, no, 100 years ago, and we walk around with one of these, we'd be labeled a witch or a warlock. You know, we're talking to a black mirror on our phone, and we have this technology that increases, increases. So I don't know that we can fathom exactly what robots are going to look like in 10 years, but this leads to I a agree. great question I have for, for both of you guys. How much longer do you think we can increase in this technology before it either destroys us or um, 
we become non-human anymore totally. There's no no humans left alive. And of course, we believe in, in the scriptures where it talks about this all coming to an end. But how much, in your guys' opinion, you know, obviously you, neither of you are uh, experts in the new technologies that are coming out. But in your opinion, how much longer before we're no longer human anymore because of the technology? I'm just going to very briefly say to give Timothy the, the time to speak that I believe that this could be the kill shot for the human race within a generation. And we, we have to also keep in mind the uh, intervention of God. He said that the days would be cut short or no flesh would be left alive. And I think that statement of no flesh being left alive, there won't be any humans left alive if this, I mean, as in real humans. But, Timothy, go ahead and speak to that. Okay. Um, unfortunately, there's not an easy answer to this. Um, I don't know if you can see this on my screen here, but... Yeah, we can, we can see it. I, I, I postulate in my book that there are three primary things, components... That are going to that are going to convalesce, that are going to bring us into what the Bible calls the end times or the end of the age. And by the way, when the Bible says the end of the age, this isn't an abstract concept. It is referring to the age as an age is known, has and has been known traditionally throughout all of humanity. Information that was, I believe, given to Adam and his offspring, um, and information that was preserved through the flood and shows up. And it's very advanced information, by the way. It's based on the procession of the equinoxes in an age is 2,160 years. So um, I believe that I showed you that image there of those concentric circles. And if you couldn't see, uh, I, I frame it this way. The revealing of Apollo, the inauguration of a new golden age, and the Battle of Armageddon will come to pass with the confluence of three essential components, which we may visualize as the conjunction of three equidistant circles. The, the ones I just put, showed you on the camera. And these are the three components that I believe, in my opinion, are coming together right now. By the way, before uh, it's accelerated since I wrote this book. I mean, it just has accelerated. But these three components I envision coming together and that they must come together because we're going somewhere. This is not just uh, the things that are happening are not happenstance. OK. And the three components are as follows. Number one, the new religion. Number two. Uh, let me, I'll read the subtext here. The new religion, the establishment of a new religion that impels men to become like the gods. That's what we were talking about, transhumanism leading to posthumanism. The second thing, the second component is the alien threat, the disclosure of a hostile alien presence and the arrival of the golden race. Okay, that's number two. And then the third component is the posthuman paradigm. The development of green technologies and the emergence of post-humanity. And remember I said that there are there's a religious aspect and a technological aspect to transhumanism. The religious aspect is the new religion. The technological aspect is going to lead us into the post-human paradigm through technology. Um, and then I say when these three components converge, the end times will be upon us. And I strongly believe that. These things are not going, in my opinion, are not going to just suddenly be cut short and that's it. That's, that's, that they, they're, they're going to come to fruition is what I'm trying to say. Um, the religion, the post-human paradigm, and the alien threat. All three of these things are accelerating and have even accelerated since I printed this book. Um, 
And they're all, by the way, independent chapters in my book, and I go to great, into great length and detail to explain each one. Um, but let's talk about the two things that I said are inextricably linked, which is the post-human paradigm and the alien threat. Those two topics and the new religion, they're all inextricably linked. That's why, that's why I represent them as concentric circles that are coming together. You know, and if you take three circles and you press, let's say, bubbles, okay? They just picture three bubbles, right? And you can press those three bubbles together. They all become one big bubble. That's what I mean. That's what I'm trying to convey here with these three concentric circles. They're, they're coming together. They're going to form a new, their their convergence is going to lead to a new golden age and Apollo revealed. And, and so um, to sum this up, these three components are going to take time to unfold. And we're seeing them begin to unfold. Clearly, we're seeing the, the post-human paradigm beginning to unfold with all with with all of the uh, advances in the uh, in the uh, um, the biotechnologies that are now happening and the and the U.S. government beginning to allow for the creation or we're we're going down the path of allowing allowing for the creation of chimeras following China trying to catch up to China and of course the alien threat my God I mean this isn't a UFO show I mean this isn't a the topic of the show isn't UFOs but my God let me tell you guys something okay. Something has changed, and this is very important for everybody to understand. Something has changed in regards to the demeanor of the entities that are operating the, these these saucers and these other shaped craft, the the, the teardrop uh, saucer uh, and uh, cigar shaped craft and other shapes. But those are the three primary shapes. These beings are becoming more hostile. They're becoming aggressive towards. The, our military, not just our military, militaries all over the world, they are now hovering in place above our deep underground military bases. Our most restricted, um, uh, top secret bases, you know, the cosmic and majestic clearance bases, these craft, a saucer, is now hovering in different parts of the United States, has been periodically hovering above right above these installations, okay, that nobody knows about. At the same time, they're harassing our battleships and our, and our, and our aircraft carriers. They're harassing our, our, our fighters. Um, and they're not, they're not firing at them. They're just, they're just moving around them. They're hovering above our battleships. And this is, this is, the, this is the stuff that's coming out in the New York Times, by the way. This isn't me speculating. Um, the thing about them hovering above the secret installations, that comes from a different source. But these other things are coming from the New York Times and the Washington Post and so forth. Uh, so they're beginning to harass our military assets. And what are they doing? They're posturing themselves in a way saying, don't you dare. Don't you dare because you can't catch us. You can't stop us. You can't catch us. Okay. That's why disclosure is beginning to this weird, bizarre, slow walk of disclosure that's going on is happening precisely because the Pentagon has to confront this threat openly now because too many servicemen are seeing this happen. You can't keep it quiet anymore. People are taking footage of it, so they have to get in front of the story. And so that's why they're calling them unidentified, you know, aerial phenomena. Because they're trying to soft pedal this, they're trying to, to, to get in front of this story, because this is a major threat, major threat. And the Pentagon, and by the way, hardly anybody in the Pentagon really knows what's going on. This is stuff that goes in, we talked about this before, the deep, the deep black budget stuff, 
that is uh, that is cosmic and majestic clearance. And the president of the United States doesn't even come close to majestic clearance, by the way. So um, there's it's 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 an element of the military industrial complex and an element of the of the U.S. military, along with other industrial complexes and militaries of the of our international uh, internationally of first world nations like the Chinese, like the Russians, like the United Kingdom and so forth um, that really know what's going on. A very small faction. So very Probably uh, you can count them on one hand at the Pentagon, people who actually know what's going on with this, with with what's what the Pentagon called the UFO reality the other day. Okay, the UFO reality. That's what they called it. Um, And so people obviously are going to want to say, well, it's just about a deception. It's just a deception. No, it's not just a deception. It's not just a deception. Ultimately, yes, it's deceiving, but it's not about a deception. It's about a clear and present danger, a a threat to us, to the human race that is going to be confronted. And, and, and I postulate in my book that this threat is going to become in sometime in the future. It's going to become known and, and, and it's going to be the greatest threat we, humanity has ever faced. And there is no way we can save ourselves from this impending doom. That's when Apollo appears. And with 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 what's called the golden race, and I think they're going to save us. Okay, so that's that's sort of just a quick. Uh, um, and this is who the Vatican is preparing to receive, by the way, not the little gray guys, not them. No, the gray guys are the threat. The insectolins are the threat. The golden-haired, blue-eyed, fair-skinned. Uh, what I call in my book elder race, but these are of course the uh, ins- these are the insurrectionary components of the elder race. The the fallen angels are going to save us. They're going to show up and defeat the the grace. Okay, that's what I postulate, and I think <laughs> I think that's exactly what's what's getting ready. That the, the table is being set right now for this reality. By the way, but that's not the end. Okay, that's not the end of the timeline, because human beings are going to become post-human before Christ returns. In my opinion. Human beings are going to become post-human. The new religion is going to be in full effect. The new religion is going to return us to the oldest religion, okay, which is the worship of the dragon and the sun. The dragon is the dragon from the book from, from the book of Revelation, as we know him, that, that serpent of old, okay? The dragon is him. And by the way, the dragon is not a dragon. It's a person that we, it's the, the members of this angelic race. That's who they are. We look like them, okay? He's going to show up. And be worshipped, but also who I think is going to be his son, his hybrid son, um, is 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 going to be Apollo. Okay, and Apollo is represented by his son, the sun, the worship of the dragon and the sun. And what does the Book of Revelation say? That people worship the uh, the uh, the beast. And what did the beast do? He directed that adoration and worship towards his father, the dragon. And the people will worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. Okay, the dragon gives his authority to his son, and the son extols the father. This is, of course, an inversion of, of Christ and his father, um, the father and his anointed son, who are the right, the, the anointed son, Jesus, the rightful ruler of planet Earth. And so, I lay all this out in the book. By the way, it's very complex. So, having said all of that, having said all of that. I believe that we have some time to go. What we're seeing, and I definitely agree with you, David, that the that what we're seeing now with with this mRNA technology is the beginning. It's the beginning of something really dangerous because we're talking about we're talking about um, um, germline genetic manipulation. 
the, the, the alterations that are going to happen through this technology are going to be inheritable. They're, they're saying that in the, in the mainstream news. We know that that's true. So who knows? What are they doing? What kind of things are happening? I don't know. There's a lot of speculation out there. I do not believe that the COVID shot is the mark of the beast, primarily because you have to have the beast first before you get his mark. And that, by the way, is not going to be some subtle thing where, hey, is the beast here or not? No. When he arrives, that's why it's the revealing of Apollo. And, and by the way, the apostasy, I believe that the apostasy spoken of in the book of, of, uh, uh, by, by Paul and, and also, um, um, uh, and also that, that we see happening in the book of Revelation, that that apostasy is not just a falling away from the faith, but, and actually this is the way Paul refers to it, it's a rebellion and who's it a rebellion against? God. Absolutely. Because, because we are going to become like God. We are going to become like the gods who we believe in, by the way. And that's why I term this new uh, phrase. I coined this new term for the new religion, apotheotheism. Why? Because it's based on apotheo- apotheosis, the, the creation of the master race, the ubermensch, uh, the overman. So we're going to become like the gods, which is theism. So it's not going to be a, it's, there is no place for the atheist in the future. There will be no atheists in the future. No, we will acknowledge that the gods exist. These blonde haired, blue eyed, fair skinned saviors, right? Who show up, they do exist, but of course not in the traditional sense. They're not throwing lightning bolts down or whatever. They're flying around in saucers and they have this amazing technology. They do exist. And we will become like them. And also, this God, Adonai, Yahweh, and his anointed son, they're just like them. (laughs) And so we will become like the gods, and together with the gods, the kings and the rulers, two different groups in Psalm 2, we will form an alliance, and we will go to war with God. That's the apostasy. That is what's going to happen. That, by the way, is Armageddon. And, you know, so I have a different view, obviously, than a lot of other people. But um, I believe very firmly that this is exactly where we're headed. It will come to fruition. I believe very, very quickly here, uh, uh, 20 seconds. I believe that Christ was born. The age of Pisces in which we are now in, the age of Pisces was initiated at the birth of Christ. I personally believe that. An age is too is 2,160 years. And so we are 2,021 years from the birth of Christ and or thereabouts. And so I think we've got a couple generations to go before all of this comes to fruition. And literally at the end of this age, which is represented by a fish at the end of this age, that is when these things will come to fruition. That's just my personal opinion. John, I know you had some more questions for Timothy. Why don't you get them in? We're on the other side of eleven o'clock, so go ahead and I know you had a lot of things well, you wanted. Yeah, to I don't want to. I don't want to take up. You know, I know we, I told you an hour because I know you were tired when we called you before. No, I, I got he's getting wound up now. Person. Timothy's he's all juiced up now. He's ready I'm going to go. go as long as you guys want. All right, very good. So we'll we'll probably take some questions too from the chat. We were going to do a Q and A after this, but what we'll do is we'll make the Q and A part of this show. So if you have any questions. Uh, go ahead and put them in, in all caps with question and also uh, the best questions that I see. Of course, I don't see them all. They're, they're flowing really fast. I will ask those questions to Timothy as well. But I, I just want to tell you both, first off, um, you know, this this 
place we're in right now with humanity, um, it, it seems a very dangerous place. It seems like a place where people could mess up and uh, screw around and, and mess up their humanity altogether. Now, that question that I have, the question that I have for you guys is that what percentage of your DNA, your genetics has to be changed or, or tampered with in order for you to lose that humanity that would allow you to be uh, a part of the kingdom of God? Why, how much humanity would you have to lose for that to happen? Of course, we know what happened in Genesis 6. We know uh, what happened throughout time when, when genetics were at the forefront of, of the revolution, right? This is exactly what happened in Genesis 6. How much changing can one man do to their body before they're no longer a human? Uh, David, go Timothy. ahead, Timothy. I'll, yeah. I'm going to let Timothy speak to that because we don't. Uh, well, the answer is very simple for me. I don't know. Uh, I would I would surmise, though, that not nearly enough that that can be affected by the COVID vaccine. I don't think that the COVID vaccine is it. And for those who've gotten the COVID vaccine, I don't think that you've taken the mark of the beast or that you've you know, that you forfeited your humanity by any by any stretch of the imagination. Understand that posthumanism, as we said, posthumanism is, is the end game. Understand that posthumanism is nothing remotely like us. We're talking about a drastic change. Um, uh, Nietzsche said that 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 the overman would be as different from us as we are from chimpanzees. And I believe that that is indeed the case. There's going to be a two-class system in the future. I call it the, the neo-humans versus the neo-humans. The neo-neanderthalic humans versus the neo-the new humans. It's going to be a two-tier uh, uh, society. Um, it's going to go way beyond a COVID passport, by the way. I, it's going to literally be, you know, there's movies out there that are, you know, sort of dystopic movies that, that, that I think pretty accurately depict what we're headed for. Uh, and futurists and technologists also think that those movies are accurately depicting, like Gattaca, for example. Um, we're headed into a scenario where there are literally two different species inhabiting the Earth. So the one species is going to be persecuted, ultimately persecuted and, and marginalized, like in the movie Gattaca, by the other species. The neo-humans, the Neanderthalic humans are going to be marginalized, persecuted and eventually hunted. Uh, for sport, probably even, you know, I think hunger, hunger games type stuff in the future. And they're going to just be view, viewed as inferior. They're, and by the way, they will know they will not be allowed ultimately to participate in society. And there you have, uh, I believe, the, the the what the mark of the beast is talking about, because when you take the mark of the beast, you become like him. You are you're remade in his likeness. It's a mirror. OK, it's it's a, it's the antithesis of the gospel. So we who are in Christ are going to become like him. We're destined to become like him through the resurrection, through the rebirth of the resurrection. The, those who are going to follow the beast are going to be reborn in his likeness. They're going to be reborn. It's a new birth. It's just it's just a, a masquerade of the gospel. Um, it's 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 the gospel upside down there. You're going to be reborn in the image of the beast consciously. So, by the way consciously so you're going to worship him and choose to become like him and in choosing to become like the beast you will you will willfully and this is important willfully and knowingly forfeit your humanity in other words in other words you are going to you are going to willfully and knowingly discard adam you're going to discard adam and you're going to take on the image of the beast 
And by doing so, you will alter your genetic uh, composition so drastically that you will no longer be human and therefore will no longer qualify for redemption in Christ because Christ became a man to save men, period. He became, uh, he, that's, why, that's why he's called a kinsman redeemer. He became us to save us. And so if we evolve, consciously evolve out of ourselves, we become something else, we forfeit. Um, we are no longer qualified. We're no longer candidates for salvation. And so, and so at some point in time in the future, there won't even be any candidates left for salvation on earth. Think about that. There won't even be any candidates left because the people who will be left alive are probably going to be Christians at that point because of the things happening on the earth. Either you're going to be a Christian or you're going to be with the beast because the biblical narrative is going to be so obviously, the prophetic, the prophetic narrative is going to be so obviously fulfilled. You're, so you're either going to be Christians being hunted like wild beasts, refusing to, 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 to take the image of the beast, refusing. We're not going to become like you. We choose to remain Adam. So that we can be resurrected, redeemed, and reconciled, and then rectified in Christ to the Father and to the blueprint of Adam. And then you're going to have the other side of that equation, which are the people who just are flocking to the beast and, and extolling him and his father, the dragon, and are going to become like him because they want the, the longevity and, the, and, and all everything that's going to come with it. I mean, I mean the, the cerebral capacity and so forth is going to be just absolutely tremendous. And it's going to be extremely, extremely tantalizing. It's the fruit from the tree. It's that fruit from the tree of knowledge. that's just hanging there and you just want to eat it because, because if you do, you can become like them. And we're going to have a living example of what that is. And that's going to be Apollo. He is going to be the archetype of the new man, but not a new man in Christ, the new man in Apollo, the antithesis of Christ, the anti Christ. And so it's going to be a willful choice that we will make or we will not make. And the beast will not be allowed, will not, by the way, not be permitted. Remember, he's permitted to reign. Who permits him to reign? God permits him to reign. So he's permitted to reign for a short time. But he's not permitted to force Christians to take a mark. He just kills them if they don't. So ostracizes them from society. They're a lower class, they're Neanderthalic, neo-humans, and then ultimately is going to attempt to exterminate them from the earth. Now, they won't all be exterminated because some people are going to be alive when Christ returns. Believers are going to be alive when Christ returns. And in fact, people are still going to be receiving Christ, calling on the name of the Lord as, uh, as these things unfold. So, um, however, there are going to be very few, very few candidates even left for uh, redemption in the cross because there are going to be very few humans left and by the way the punchline of the book the dominion of the earth is attached to our humanity you have you lose the human populace um, we are no longer human and somebody else hybrids become human enough to retain that or to usurp that dominion from us that's what happened in genesis 6 as in the days of noah jesus said and uh, when it came down to get on the boat, they could find eight people that were pure in their genetics, and one of them was even questionable. So could it be that, as in the days of Noah, that this genetic corruption of the human race is so profound that it gets, as you say, very few candidates? I think that is very possible. 
and the uh, and I would agree with you. I don't believe that um, the COVID vax is the mark of the beast. But what I do believe is that this could be one of many things that are going to contribute to genetic corruption. I think I that there are some very profound uh, dangers there. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a precursor. Yeah, I, I, I use that very word, a precursor. And uh, I, I would agree there uh, wholeheartedly. Um, one thing, and before we go to the, do you want to go ahead and go to the questions? I do, the I do. Okay, yeah, go ahead. I do. I, I, no, I, you can, I was just going to say, too, to add to that, like, we, we don't, obviously, there's elements missing for this to be the mark of the beast. However, to, if I were the one conducting the research and seeing where people's minds are at right now, this would be a perfect test um, to see. There, it's not hard to see that people are going to run and jump after whatever's coming. So that that would be one thing that I would say. If you're the kind of person that would run and jump into new technology, which it is new technology, I've researched CRISPR and all of the way this works. It reacts in the same way. It gets rid of the 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 receptive part of the DNA that would receive the virus. Right? They're doing trying to do this with HIV. They're trying to do this with a lot of different things, which on the surface sounds great. The problem is when they take get rid of that particular gene. They don't know what all it does. They know it does receive the COVID. They know it does receive this and that, but they don't know understand what it does. And this is what any doctor will tell you. And of course, I'm, I'm not going to go into too much. This video will be banned from YouTube forever. Just talking the hint of the the word in here will ob obviously cause issues. But personally, uh, you know, I'm not running out to get any kind of gene upgrades. You know, I, the the way that that we look at these things, you can. You can look at stuff and you can say, well, you know, this is not that, but it still doesn't mean it's not dangerous. Just like if you go and shoot up heroin, yeah, it's not the mark of the beast, but it's, it's probably going to kill you, you know, and all of these different things can kill you and can cause some severe problems. Now, you, Timothy, earlier you were talking about the place where God sits, right? They've talked about trying to tamper with those genetics to get rid of that uh, God gene type thing. So when, I, when, when you say uh, something like this is not that, would you also state that it's possible that it could tamper with that reception? Uh, maybe this is what the Psalms was about, getting rid of this, this cord that they have. Uh, would, would that not be a caution to throw out there with you guys? Certainly. Certainly. I think there's a... Um, see, God communicates us with us in a very interesting way. Obviously, he doesn't communicate with most of us, certainly not with me, uh, vocally, audibly. Um, he doesn't show up and knock on the door and come and sit down and have a cup of coffee. Uh, God communicates, us with, communicates with us through the agency of his spirit. And so, and so we are communicating, we are in communication with God through some kind of a mechanism that is, and this is important, inherent in human biology. Why? Because we were created to communicate with God. You know, so this isn't something that's just activated in Christians. We were literally created to have fellowship with the Father in the Father's house. We were created to be sons in the Father's house. Adam was. So that mechanism, the ability for Adam to commune with his maker, was it was built, it's a built-in mechanism. It's inherent. So we all possess it. Uh, even uh, non-Christians, Christians and non-Christians alike, the human species, the offspring of Adam. Um, 
Now, that's not to say that everybody's communicating with God, but we are all we all can receive, certainly receive communication from God and perhaps even communicating on, an, on a subconscious, which is not good news for a lot of people, by the way. So um, we have this ability. We have this built in. We have this built in mechanism, which is really exciting and really scary built in mechanism for fellowship with the maker. And so is there a way to deaden that? Is there a way to interrupt that communication to make mankind so utterly dead? You know, we are dead spiritually before we receive Christ. Um, uh, But is there a way to just cut the cord to where that communication is no longer even possible? I can tell you this, if there is, the enemies of mankind are certainly trying to do that. And the enemies of God are certainly trying to do that. So... You know, this is all speculation. I don't know. But certainly we communicate with God on a very mystical level through dreams and, 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 and through the spirit of God. And the communication is nonverbal, you know, because the communication isn't through, you know, the moving of your lips. Because if that's the case, then people who are mute can't communicate with God. Uh, and that's certainly not the case. The communication is something that happens inside of us. It's in, in an interior thing. And I think we all know that it's interior, whether you move your lips or not, you're communing, you're communing with God or not communing with God on the basis of this mechanism that's built into us as human beings. And that is it's it's like a it's like a uh, it's like a walkie talkie for uh, for the spirit, for your spirit to commune with God, your soul to communicate with the maker. Um, That has to be the case. So can they deaden that? Is there something they can do? Is that linked to our biology somehow? Like I said, if it is, these nefarious uh, sons of Satan will attempt to cut it off. For sure. So I'm going to, David, did you have anything you want to say before I go to the questions here? I've got a well, couple lined out. So. And it, well, just very briefly, this is exactly what it seems like DARPA and Russia and China are trying to do in creating a soldier that has no mercy, no compassion, uh, basically uh, devoid of any human emotion or compassion, the ultimate uh, guiltless killing machine. And that the ultimate seems to Ubermensch. The, eradic- the eradication of the soul. Very good. Um, the question first from Tim Morgan, he says, how does Elon Musk chip in the forehead to connect us to the AI play into this? And I'm sure you guys have both heard of Neuralink. Yeah, it's all, it's all just leading to posthumanism. So it's not one thing. It's not one thing. It's not just uh, Musk or this guy or that guy or social media or whatever. It's everything combined. Everything combined. All of the grin technologies and all of their associated technologies combined are going to create uh, the, a situation in which we can, we can fundamentally alter our species in a way that we are no longer human. So it's going to be a combination of everything. It's not going to be one thing or the other. And by the way, for everybody wondering, remember, remember that Christ will not return, according to Paul, until the man of sin is revealed. The word, the name Apollo means, by the way, to be revealed. Uh, I'm sorry, um, Apollo's a, a play on the word of um, Apollyon destroyer, but a, 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 a Apollo in Greek mythology was born on the island of Delos. And Delos means to be revealed. So the word Delos means to be revealed. And so um, the revealing of Apollo has to, is a precursor to the mark of the beast and, and the apostasy, which is war with God. The apostasy is kinetic war with God. 
and a rebellion against God. So all of this is a precursor. I mean, the uh, I'm sorry, the the uh, the revealing of Apollo is a precursor to all of this. And so we're going to get to a point where we will have the technology and we will be taking the first steps to fundamentally transform humanity. We are not there yet. We are seeing the technologies that are going to make it possible, but those technologies are nowhere near uh, ready for the, for the wholesale transformation of the human species. They're not ready yet. They're still in their infant stages. Look, we're surfing the internet with our fingers. Just wait, just wait, because probably before I'm dead, uh, uh, we'll be surfing the internet with our brains. That's coming. And, uh, and a host of other things. And so we got, we got a ways to go. A lot of technologies are going to be developed along the way. We are going to be interfacing with the internet. We are going to be interfacing with our cell phones from our brains. It's the next, it's where these guys are going. It's, it's logical evolution, by the way, of this technology. And uh, many people are going to be living in virtual worlds, by the way. They're going to be living in a virtual world. You know that uh, one video game that came out some years ago called, I think it was called Afterlife, I think, where you can have a virtual life and so forth. Well, guess what? You're going to be in that virtual world in the future. You're going to just like them. And I hate to bring it up again. I hate I hate it because it's such a cliche. Just like the Matrix, you'll be sitting in a chair interfacing in this this world that's like three dimensional interactive. You're, you can smell it. You can taste it. You can touch it. It's going to make the porn industry explode like you've never imagined. Um, and by the way, they're the ones putting a lot of money into this. And uh, so this is all coming and it's not going to be developed next year or the year after by the year 2025 or the year 2029. This is going to take time. But everything you're seeing are the little building blocks, just like you mentioned the cell phone, how big and clunky it used to be. Well, you know, it took it took a lot of iterations before it became this. Right. So and those iterations evolved over decades. So we're going to see things coming out left and right. And, and I wouldn't jump the gun on. You know, everybody wants to jump the gun and say, Mark of the Beast, Mark of the Beast, Mark of the Beast. Well, you're going to sound like the boy who cried wolf eventually, because if you if you're saying that for every single thing that comes out, remember back when we were kids, me and John, when we were kids, the, the credit card was the Mark of the Beast yeah. for a lot of Christians. The There's bar, a lot of barcode at one time. Barcode. Yeah, the yeah. credit card, the barcode was the Mark of the Beast. And, and, and it's, it's appropriate for us to be vigilant, for sure. Vigilant. Yes, but we got to remember that the mark of the beast is 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 connected to the beast himself. You see the beast arise, then you know the mark is is like right. We're right at the gates, and uh, so. But yeah, I don't want to get. A, I'm not going to chip in my brain. I'm not going to get the vaccine. I'm not going to do any of these things because I'll tell you why. Redemption is for Adam and his offspring. Period. Amen. And I want to say I want to remain Adam. Amen. To qualify for redemption, reconciliation, and and restoration in the family of God. Yeah, and I think it's safe to say that if you if any of these precursors you feel so inclined to to uh, jump on, then I would say that you're in line to with the propaganda to receive the mark. And I agree with you, Timothy. In fact, on our fellowship. I made the clarification because there's a lot of there's people. Believe it or not, guys, I know you guys have seen it all in in 
the years of being on YouTube and being, you know, talking in front of people, you see all kinds of different people that come across the way. Uh, as a kid, I felt terrified half the time because there's so many people saying the end of the world's coming now, it's coming, you know, you, you have this going on. So eventually you're just like, whatever, I don't believe any of that crazy stuff. But there's people right now, basically, you're a heretic for what you just said, Timothy, according to them. According to what I, what I just said, I'm a heretic. You're, you're a heretic, David, for saying this is not the mark of the beast. And I, and I had to make a clarification to say, look, I don't know what it is. All I know is this, like there's qualifications missing. You, you buying or selling, you know, first off, I can buy or sell just fine without it right now. And I don't see a bunch of people being pushed to worship anybody right yet. You know, I don't mm-hmm. see a lot of these different things that are supposed to take place with this, this so-called mark. Every, uh, the scriptures, there are multiple ones that directly connect the mark of the beast with worship and a willful surrender of worshiping to the first beast of Revelation 13. Mm-hmm. That is just scripture, and uh, that's just, yeah. that's what And a willful says. rejection of Christ, by the way, that goes along with that. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, we could say, too, that there's a lot of stuff out there will send you straight to hell that's this side of the mark of the beast, you know. Exactly, <laughs> you know, yeah. Lots exactly. of stuff. Other things to worry about, I think, uh, yeah. you know, at least as much as the COVID vaccine. All right, guys, and our next question comes from Claire McLaughlin. She says, uh, why did, and I don't know if you guys are aware of this, I haven't seen it, but why did the CDC put out the booklet on the zombie apocalypse? Have you guys seen that? Are you aware of that? I haven't seen it. No, but I wouldn't put it past the, the administration and the uh, and the Marxists that are pulling the, the, the reins of power at these organizations, at these institutions. Um, uh, I wouldn't put it past them to be trolling us, to be trolling conservatives. What the government, remember, people need to keep this in mind. The elements of the deep, the so-called deep state, the CIA, the NSA, and so forth, are trying to goad the quote-unquote Q audience, the Q people, which, you know, I'm not a follower of Q, never have been, but they would consider me Q because I'm a conservative Christian, you know, and I, and I have alternative views on things. They consider me in that Q white supremacist group, right? Um, they, don't put it past them. In fact, this is what the CIA does very well. They're going to, they're trolling us. They're trying to get us to bite on things and to believe crazy things. And, and so that, so that they can drum up like this, this uh, hysteria. And uh, certainly they've been doing this. Believe me, they've been doing this. They've been launching psyops on YouTube, on the Internet for years, at least, especially in the last decade. Um, And I think it's direct operations linked to the CIA and the NSA. And they're they're launching these operations. There's psychological warfare. And they're trying to they're trying to create this this threat right this imagined threat that's exactly what they're doing we i mean you know this isn't this isn't even a hypothesis at this point um and they're calling us they're labeling us labeling us again q people white supremacists conspiracy theorists and so be careful be careful they're trolling us there's i don't i'm not going to say exactly which topics there are i've got my own opinions but but i don't have any definitive proof on which topics but believe me they're trolling us. So don't take the bait. All right. I'm going to ask another question from, and I'm just going to do two more questions, guys. It's getting, it's, you guys have been first off asking some amazing questions and I'm so sorry I couldn't get to all of them. I mean, they, they, first off, there's a lot of people listening. So the chat's moving fast, so I can't even see them all. But the ones I am seeing, it's hard for me to decide 
uh, what questions to ask. So I'm going to ask this question because I think a lot of people listening tonight that haven't heard of you, Timothy, some of them have, most of them have, but there are people that don't, don't know who you are and they don't know about your book. Uh, first off, I want to say something about Timothy. We've, uh, Timothy has put together many documentaries uh, that are just you know mind-blowing and also groundbreaking. Um, I think we've had you on to talk about most of them at one point or another. Uh, you've been involved in major major publications. This book, Birthright, uh, that you just put out that I that I haven't read yet, and I've seen and, that all right. John. But David's read, and I know that it's going to be good work. I already knew when I got it. You can see that on the screen there. Um, where is this available, uh, Timothy? It's available on Amazon, Amazon.com. So you just go on Amazon, type my name in. Uh, it's the only book I published so far. So type in birthright Timothy Albrino, or just my name, and you'll you'll see. It's the only place you can get it is on Amazon right now. By, by uh, right now, by the way, it's in it's in paperback and it's in Kindle format right now. I do plan on doing an audiobook. Um, right now, I don't have the time, but I, I will be doing an audiobook sometime down the line. But it is in Kindle and paperback and available on Amazon. And I, I would say for a very compelling analysis of not only transhumanism, but the alien agenda from the scriptural standpoint, this would be what you're looking for. And I'm just going to read some of the index here. I mean, you've got everything from alien technology, astronaut theory, breeding programs, uh, interdimensional hypothesis. I mean, this looks like like uh, every, I guess, you know, person sends a supernatural's dream come true with all the different topics you discuss. Chapter 11 on the alien threat is very good. And uh, we just touched a little. Of course, there's more that we can uh, touch on. Um, but go ahead, John, and I have one final question for Timothy. Okay. But that could cause a bunny trail, so you go ahead and get yours in. Well, you know what? Okay, so I'm going to ask a question, if you guys don't mind, instead of asking a question from the audience, because I haven't talked to Timothy in a long time. We've talked on the phone several times before, but, you know, obviously there's going to be things that we don't agree on. We we haven't. We've talked about it, and we don't care about that. You know, for us, we we agree on the one main core thing that, that really actually matters. Uh, but what would you say to people, I guess, that are that are looking into this subject? Um, what would you say to watch out for pitfalls-wise in looking into the subject? And what would you uh, advice would you give on getting to the truth of the matter? I guess you know pitfalls and and how do they get the truth to this matter? Yeah, um, uh, particularly the subject of transhumanism. Just the pitfalls and looking into the subject in general, like what, what, because I know this, like when I read, when I read books on the occult and I read a lot, I read astronomy books, I read all these different books. There's times when you look at this stuff that you start to think, rethink your paradigm, which is not a necessarily a bad thing all the way, all the, all the time to rethink mm-hmm. a lot of what you believe. But um, is there any books that you would tell people to stay away from that, that have caused no. you to, to. Um, cause have any issues or anything like that, or have you been pretty much able to uh, stand strong in the faith with going through everything that you've gone through? Well, I'll say first of all that I think you guys, you two, are a tremendous source of good information. You guys have avoided a lot of the pitfalls yourselves, and I commend you for that. Thank you. Um, so I think you guys are a great source of information and a secure, no. a safe source of information. For Thank people. you for that, Timothy. 
um, you're both very intelligent and, and you, you have successfully navigated around some of the, what I think are some of the biggest uh, problematic things floating around out there, which I think are connected to the side stuff I, I mentioned earlier. But um, in terms of stuff to stay away from, a lot of people uh, get tied up and confused and persuaded by ancient astronaut theory. Um, I've surprisingly, actually, I have to say, surprisingly, I, I, I encounter Christians that that are are kind of wavering, and they 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 feel like, but isn't there something to that? And well, the answer is yes. I mean, the human race has been interacting with 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 you know, quote unquote, extraterrestrials for millennia. The Bible plainly tells us that. Uh, these entities who we call angels or, or fallen angels, you know, where their origin is not planet Earth. They are there, but they are therefore extraterrestrial. I mean, that's, you know, you can call them interdimensional, whatever you want, but you can't avoid the term extraterrestrial because they were not created on Earth uh, like we were. We were literally created from the clay of the Earth and we were created uh, to govern the Earth. Um, they were not. They have a different origin. They have a different nature than us. And so, um, you know, you can embrace the things that are true, but then, you know, throw out all the garbage. Like, for example, all the Sitchin bullcrap, because Zechari- Zechariah Sitchin was not a good scholar in his translations of, uh, of the, uh, of the um, Sumerian uh, uh, cylinder scrolls and so forth are just uh, abysmal. You know, if you want to get good translations, one good source is is, is Michael Heiser. He's got great. He, I think he's much more accurate than Sitchin. So you know, stay away from Sitchin. Stay away from Don Bonnekin. Uh, their stuff is so fanciful anyway. It's 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 really. Um, even though they make they do make some good points, some persuasive points regarding certain things, just understand that ancient astronaut theory. Um, where, where, although it has elements of truth, biblical truth, in that, as I said, these entities have been interacting with mankind for millennia. I mean, Adam was interacting with somebody in the garden, right? Um, and, and persuading and attempting to manipulate humanity. Certainly, we all believe that. We all believe in the devil. We all believe in angels. I mean, if you're Christian, you believe in these things. Um, but don't fall for all the junk science and all the junk uh, uh, scholarship from von Donneken and, and, uh, and, uh, um, Sitchin, you know, Giorgio Tukalos. But I don't think that's even something I have to tell your audience, honestly. Uh, I, I don't think there's probably not a single person listening to me that's going to struggle with that. I say that for the benefit maybe of other people who maybe will listen to this who are coming from other parts of the internet and are not really aware of these topics, you know, and that's really the one thing I see. Of course, I could go on rants about other things that I think are, are, are problematic and are dangerous, but, you know, I don't really want to go down those paths right now. But the ancient astronaut theory trips a lot of people up. Many of the shows we've done here on the Midnight Ride have been debunking the ancient astronaut theory, debunking uh, Sitchkin and Von Donneken. And uh, this is another thing that that whole genre uh, is just, taking the minds of young people like wildfire and it's always great to be able to speak the biblical perspective in that and i know on page 242 of your book you refer to william cooper and i just wanted to ask do you believe and of course william cooper who wrote behold the pale horse he was Mm -hmm. shot to death by police Mm -hmm. officers he claimed that 
our government was actively engaged in cooperation with these dark powers. And of course, he called them aliens. We would call them uh, the Nephilim, the product of the fallen angels. But do you give any credence to the fact that our government is actively engaged in cooperation with these entities? Bill Cooper was a complicated figure and a controversial figure. Um, he was definitely a member of the a briefing team for the United States Naval Intelligence. Um, and it was during that time that he saw briefings on flying saucers and things of this nature. And, 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 and he heard rumors of potential cooperation between the greys and human beings in underground bases. And it's not just from Cooper, it's from other people too, who have come along and said, they've got some, um, corroborating information that, 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 that seems to indicate that this is a reality. Um, Bill Cooper I think that Bill Cooper was a very sincere man. I think he was a patriot, but I think he was also an exceedingly flawed man. Very, very arrogant and unsavory, an, an unsavory character. Um, in some respects, I think he had a drinking problem. And so, you know, you mix all those things together. You mix arrogance with, with alcoholism and so forth, and, and you get some very unsavory things, you know. So... You got to be careful with Bill, um, but I, I I do agree with most of what he says in "Behold a Pale Horse," and um, I think that uh, you know Cooper went around the United States doing presentations, and a lot of what he said I think is accurate. And he would always tell people, "Look, they could have been you know giving me this information to make me a." a uh, to make me a disseminator of di of misin of disinformation and misinformation, he 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 would acknowledge that all the time, you know. So, but I over the years I have to tell you that over and again this is kind of a different topic and maybe we can talk about this at a later date. But um, I have received in my own personal life from contacts and personal experiences uh, confirmation of some of the things that Bill Cooper said, and I. 100% believe that when we that that there's a there's a there's a there's a the gray aliens have a base on the dark side of the moon for one thing that's just one little thing what i'm not 100% sure about is if we actually are operating joint bases um i do believe that the greater contract happened that at uh, what was then Ellis Air Force Base um uh, that we that we uh, uh did in fact, Eisenhower, Eisenhower did in fact uh, strike a deal or sign some kind of a treaty with, with the Gray Faction. I really do. And uh, it was Edwards Air Force Base in Southern California. And uh, I think that there's some corrob corroborating evidence that seems to indicate that that did in fact, as crazy as that sounds. And by the way, I'm friends with some of the, who I consider to be the top ufologists. And these guys are, you know, these are these are these are people who are not quacks. These are people who are very very intelligent, uh, university trained, very smart people, who are who are just top notch investigators and researchers. Who surprisingly, when I asked them about Bill Cooper, when I asked them about the uh, Edwards Air Force Base rendezvous with the Greys and Eisenhower, surprisingly, these people, everyone I've asked so far, absolutely believes it happened, which I, I was very shocked. 
because there's a lot of garbage. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of garbage in the in ufology and a lot of fantasy and a lot of, you know, untruths floating around. But that that I'm persuaded personally, I'm persuaded it happened. And um, and so do we are we cooperating with the Greys and underground bases? On, or and when I say we remember, I'm talking about a very, very select sliver of our intelligence community and our military and our members of our government. Very, very, very few people. Okay. Now I'm going to say this, and I know I'm, there's going to be a lot of controversy here. And I don't know what you guys think about this, but I'm going to tell you that I wholeheartedly believe without a shadow of a doubt, the testimony of Bob Lazar, 100%. I believe Bob Lazar is, uh, is told the truth. He blew the whistle years ago in the, in the uh, early nineties and that his testimony was true and accurate and that uh, around the uh, Groom Lake facility, you know, some five, seven miles south of Broom Lake at the uh, of uh, Area 51, uh, you, that there was that the S4 facility, which we now know exists, which people didn't know existed at the time when Bob Lazar talked about it, was housing, was housing. I think they moved them, was housing uh, saucers of different shapes and sizes. Um, and the one that Lazar claimed to work on, which he dubbed the sports model, uh, could very well have come through this exchange program that Eisenhower agreed to, which was we get technology and we authorize the Greys to abduct our citizens. And according to Cooper and other sources, the Greys were supposed to provide us with a um, um, would provide us with a with a log of, of, of abductees, which, which according to Cooper and again, other sources, they never did um, because they're very deceptive, nefarious creatures. And so, um, and so yes. And by the way, I don't say these things whimsically. Believe me when I tell you, I've done very intense research into the subject. I've talked to the top researchers in the field and I have had personal experiences, personal experiences that have given me the strong indication that, that some of these things are true. I've talked to people that if I mentioned their names, some of you would know who they are, who are in the prophecy community, who, who, who have relatives who worked on reverse engineering UFOs uh, for Lockheed Martin and um, extremely credible people. And so I've, I've been able to corroborate myself a lot of this stuff. And I can tell you a lot of it is true. And as jacked up and crazy as it all sounds, I have to say I believe it also. And I would agree with you uh, about Bob Lazar. And help me with his name. The gentleman that was injured in an underground facility in New Mexico. Snyder? Yeah, Snyder. Thank Snyder. you. Yeah, Phil Snyder. And I found Phil Snyder also very credible. And I, yes. I believe his testimony. And don't forget that some of these individuals, not Bob Lazar, Bob Lazar never got deep enough for this to happen. They brought Bob Lazar in because they couldn't figure out the technology, the power source of the saucers. And it turns out that it's a matter-antimatter reactor. And uh, I think Bob Lazar is exactly correct. It work. It functions on element 115, which is exotic, uh, which is an exotic uh, element um, that is now on our periodic table. It's called Mos Moscovian, I believe. It was synthesized in a lab in, I believe, Russia uh, some years ago. And Bob Lazar knew about it in the 90s. OK, there's lots of confirming and Bob Lazar's story is true. Believe me, it's true. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to hear, uh, David, that, that, that you've also found it to be true. 
Um, and um, I'm sorry, I lost track of the what the, the oh oh Phil Schneider. And the same thing with Phil Schneider. But what I was going to say was this: Phil Schneider's father was a was a Nazi uh, submarine captain, and uh, and was brought over, I think, in paperclip. And um, when you are a family member, when you are in the family of the people who are working on these black budget projects and who are in the know, and you're integrating yourself, you're being integrated. Understand that there is some mind control stuff that's going to happen. They're not going to take the risk of you just coming in and then, you know, figuring I'm done with this. Screw these guys. I'm going to go blow the whistle. They believe me. They take precautions. Lazar was never deep enough for this to happen. He was he wasn't in for a very long time, by the way. Um, And uh, but Phil Schneider was this was a family thing with him. And his father was deeply involved in some top secret stuff and he was brought in. And so I think that Phil underwent some conditioning. And I don't think he'll mind if me saying, but I talked to uh, uh, Fritz Springmeier. And uh, Fritz and I met in uh, Las Vegas some years ago, and we talked about this. And Fritz knew Phil personally. By the way, Fritz can con- confirm a lot of this. Fritz knew Ron Rummel, who was uh, Phil's best friend, who got shot. You know, they, uh, sitting in a park, sitting on a park bench. Some guys walked up to him, put a gun in his mouth, and blew his brains out in broad daylight. Um, and uh, Fritz has some interesting stories that uh, related to that. And so um, I absolutely Fritz absolutely believes Phil Snyder's story, too. But both of us suspect that there was some um, mind control with Phil, that that they messed with his mind, that they that there were some things that were distorted with Phil, but that he was an honest guy trying to relay the truth as he knew it. And that he was patriotic and knew he was going to die. And I think he was heroic. Remember, Phil Schneider was missing a couple of fingers. He claims because he got zapped underground by a gray, by something. It was certainly not a traditional gray. This thing was tall. And, you know, he talks about it, you know, waving its hand in front of its chest and a blue beam hitting him and frying, frying his, uh, his basically toasted his fingers and his toes off and gave him cancer. And, um, he did have cancer, and, he, and, and there were documented attempts on his life, I think 12 attempts, and then the 13th they got him. And the reason why I bring that up is because Phil Schneider was killed. Somebody tied a catheter really tight around his neck and choked him out after torturing him, by the way. And so we either have to believe that Phil Schneider, who's missing a couple of fingers, tied this catheter around his neck, suffocated himself, and tortured himself, by the way, before he did it, beat himself up before he did it, you can see a picture of Phil Schneider online, his death photo of the thing around his neck and his face is blue. Those um, are horrific. The autopsy it, pictures. It, are it's horrific. really horrific. And, and if you believe that Phil Schneider did that to himself, then uh, you're pretty naive. Um, and then, of course, uh, then you also have to believe that huh, the official story that Ron Rummel killed himself in the park, sitting on the bench in front of everybody when, when there were witnesses who clearly saw men walk up to him, shoved a gun in his mouth, blew his brains out. And uh, Fritz Springmeier can confirm personally some of this. And so very interesting uh, story. But Phil Schneider, I'm telling you, Phil Schneider is authentic. He was patriotic and he died because he was trying to warn us. And and uh, Bob Lazar was telling the truth. Bob Lazar had different motives. He's trying to save his own skin. But I would say that Bob also had a patriotic and does still have a patriotic streak in him where he was pissed off. He believed that this tech that we should know about this. That was part of what drove him. But he was really trying to create an insurance policy to save his own skin. Um, And uh, and so in Bob Lazar's life was was not 
believe me, uh, in his in his own words, his life was not enhanced. He didn't he didn't uh, have any get any financial benefit or any social benefit out of blowing the whistle. In fact, quite the opposite. And of course, uh, anybody who hasn't seen the Bob Lazar film by uh, Jeremy Corbell, I think should go see the Bob Lazar film by Jeremy Corbell. I think it's available on. I think it's on Netflix. And um, and there's also a Joe Rogan episode with Bob Lazar and Jeremy Corbell. Um, and uh, and when Jeremy was filming that uh, show with Bob, that documentary, um, t- and they were talking about Element 115, which Bob Lazar did not want to talk about. Uh, right after that, a secret conversation. By the way, they had a secret conversation in the woods where they left their cell phone. I think it was you know 20 yards away or something. He, he says in the Corbell features this in his film. They leave their cell phones away from them. They're talking in the woods. And the, I believe it was the FBI, literally, I think it was a transcript or played back to Corbell, the very words, the conversation they had. Uh, so that means that they have some kind of a listening, probably a directed device from a satellite where they can direct it right on you and listen to you talking, whether, regardless of whether you have a cell phone on you. And they heard Bob Lazar talking about uh, Element 115. Well, guess what happened? The next day, Lazar has a lab. I think it's, I think it's in Minnesota or Wisconsin. I can't remember where. He has it somewhere up there around the Great Lakes. They raided his lab. And it wasn't just the FBI. It was the next day. They raided his lab, and it was a handful of agencies. Guess what they were looking for? Element 115. Oh, boy. Let me ask you this. Um, I also firmly believe uh, Phil Snyder's testimony to where he actually encountered one of these beings that we would – uh, put in the, the Nephilim Raphaim category with what's happening now of the admission and disclosure of our government of the actual harassment of our naval vessels are we to expect that more people and even an open conflict with the military that more people are going to be having face to face conflicts with these entities well millions of people around the globe are already interfacing with these entities on a regular basis. They're called abductees. And as I, I think I demonstrate pretty ironcladly in my book, I make an, I should say, I make an ironclad case in my opinion, in my book that the, that the abductions are real and it's not the military abducting. Military does abduct people, by the way, but uh, those are my labs and those are, uh, they conduct those abductions. Uh, um, they were, especially back in the 90s, conducting those abductions to try and figure out what the greys were doing. Um, because uh, the greys would abduct somebody and then the next day the military would come and grab those person, that those peep, those persons and, and then try and debrief them. And it was a very, very violent uh, situation um, the, on the part of the military, much more so than the greys. So the, the, the millions of people around the world are, are interacting with the greys, but the problem is most of them can only remember fragments of it because that's a long story and so long. I think we've had that conversation before because of screen memories and so forth. Um, so, yeah, people are, are, are very intimately um, um, acquainted with the greys. Um, these other entities, you know, Schneider... Schneider has some pretty crazy stories, okay? I don't know what stories are factual. Again, I think he had some mind control stuff going on. Um, and so I don't know what stories are exactly factual from him. I do believe the story of them trying to kill him and so forth and the, and, and the general uh, the general's, uh, topic that, that the underground bases, that he worked on the underground bases and so forth. I believe that's all true. 
what he did in in one of his uh El Bielik actually tells this tells this story that that uh that um that uh, Snyder actually uh, communicated with a with this with this uh, reptilian thing um and was able to communicate with it. that's a whole fascinating story if you want to find that you got to go real deep down the rabbit hole and, and look up El Bielik uh who's a who's a very interesting character in himself oh yeah uh, who, who again? I don't. I think Elbilik was also subject to. I believe he passed away. Was also subject to mind control, um, but he claimed to be part of the Montauk Project, oh, which yeah. I think also happened, by the way. Yeah, and since we've gone into the jacked up and crazy zone, how about Elbilik and the uh, things that he said in regarding to the Philadelphia experiment? The reality of it, uh, if there's a uh, if there's a truth to it, or you know, or not, what do you think? That was kind of like a time travel experiment. Uh, also, uh, uh, um, it's very convoluted, very convoluted. In the Philadelphia experiment, something happened. That's the point. Something happened. El Bielik was involved, I believe, on some level. But again, El Bielik, uh had some very strange ideas that I don't. I, I don't believe he had some personal beliefs that were mixed into his testimony. Whereas Phil Schneider really didn't. Phil Schneider just was patriotic. El Bielik had some new age type things mixed into his perspective. Um, but, but El Bielik is, was, if you listen to him online, the first thing that you, in YouTube videos, old YouTube videos of him talking, the first thing that you'll perceive is this is, this guy's an old timer. He's, 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 he's old school. And uh, he's, being truthful as he remembers things, but he says some things that I think are contradictory. Um, but I do believe a, a, a good portion of what he says is factual. I do believe he was involved in the 